This week on Living the Call, Deacon Charlie talks with Dave Plitsky, husband, father, and leader of technology at DeSales Media, a company focused on modernizing the church through products and services that together create a communications hub for dioceses, parishes, schools, and ministries across the U.S. In this episode, Deacon Charlie and Dave discuss a special research project by DeSales Media that collected data on the spiritual journey of intentional disciples in the U.S. They talk about the unmet needs of Catholics who are serious about following Jesus Christ and ways disciples can put their faith into action. One thing that I think hasn't changed and think will never change about the ways into the faith and that invitation piece is one-on-one personal accompaniment. I know I keep saying Mm -hmm. this word, but when there's a conversion of heart, it's almost always in a private one-on-one or small group setting with people in person with one another having some kind of moment. This is Living the Call. Dave Plisky, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's great. I've been looking forward to this one. And in the little pre-moments here before we started recording, you asked if it was cold. And so here, here's the story on this. So first of all, I live in Los Angeles, so it's not really cold. <laughs> you're, you're in New York, right? Yeah, I'm in Connecticut, but yeah, DeSales is you're based in, in Brooklyn, yeah. The tri-state area, mm-hmm. the tri-state area. So like, you know what cold actually feels like. <laughs> the thing with California is it's deceptively cold, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, when it gets in the 50s, people still wear what they normally wear. And so it just, it has this this sense of being colder than it than it feels. Now, the studio where I'm in is a studio that actually doesn't have, um, like, an, it doesn't have central AC. So it's a, it's a separate, like, unit in the office that I'm at. And in the summers, it can be a little of, of a bear. But right now, it is literally, like, sub-zero in here. Oh, my so gosh. That's why I'm, wear, that's why I'm wearing a, uh, a jacket. But um, if my teeth start chattering, you'll, uh, you'll have to take <laughs> I'll over. I understand. All right. Well, you I was curious, though, the because show. the jacket you, you have chosen, which is cool, it almost looks like it would be helpful for uh, like dampening sound as well. You know what I mean? It's oh, got, it's got see, that that's look. It. It's got the little, uh-huh. yeah, the little, uh, what do you call those? Um, yeah, no, I, I think it has that added benefit of uh-huh. dampening uh, the sound. Are you kind of like an audio person? Uh well, I'm a little bit of a musician, um, you know, amateurly, you know, just, uh, yeah. Uh, so I know I, I've been recording studios a couple of times. I'm really fastidious about audio because, and doing the show hasn't helped in that regard because, you know, I, I was brought up also with, uh, you know, musicians in the family. My brother's a musician. My, my dad always, you know, played instruments and things. And my brother coming up in high school would always, you know, be like, Hey, Charlie, listen to this, you know, demo that I did. And it, and, and it was hard because it was a garage band, right? So it would always be this super <laughs> low quality thing. And then he would tell me like, well, we haven't mastered it. We haven't done all these different mm-hmm. things. And so I kind of grew up in that sort of milieu. And then now, um, as a fan of podcasts and having a couple that I produce, it's like, I, I really try to get the sound sort of just so. Um, mm-hmm. and hopefully it doesn't feel like we're 3000 miles away right now, even though we are. No, it's, uh, you, you're right there. I, I love it. Yep. It's awesome. So it's something about the intimacy of podcasts that I dig, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's like, um, it's sort of like eavesdropping a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I was on a, I was telling you a second ago, I was on this radio show this morning and it was a radio show. So it's got like, you know, the breaks, mm-hmm. right. And one of the things that's really distracting about that format, I don't know what you think about it, but it's like you, you kind of get rolling, you mm-hmm. know, and you're in the, you're sort of like making a good point and you have to, the host, I wasn't the host, I was the guest in this case, but you can't, the host has to kind of like oftentimes bring the point to resolution sometimes prematurely. Yes. 
And then you get to the other side of it and you're like, now I kind of have to start this thing again. Yeah. And then it doesn't help the fact that it's all, it's the timing of that is completely artificial based on when they need to go to commercial breaks. So it's like, oh my gosh, being, being interrupted just for some ads. You know, it's a, That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So it's like the, the, the promise of podcasts, which of course the promise and the reality are increasingly, we'll see where it goes. But the promise was always, hey, we can have these kind of longer form, more nuanced, uh, you know, discussions and yeah. no, there's no clock, you know, yeah. running. And, um, yeah, exactly. And if you need to add an add in, uh, you know, a break or something, uh, you can do so after the fact, whenever it makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you, are you a generally a podcast guy? I'm a podcast guy. Yeah. I, yeah. I like a good podcast. Uh, I don't have as much time as I feel like I used to, to listen to them. Uh, so I'm definitely having to pick and choose these days, but yeah, um, I do enjoy some podcasts. I was talking to the guy at um, Audible because mm -hmm. you, you and I have similar backgrounds in terms of marketing and content, all mm -hmm. that stuff. And we'll talk, we'll get into that a little bit. But I was talking to a guy at Audible recently whose job it is to actually kind of source and fund and help produce a lot of the long form stuff that Audible does. Mm -hmm. So he's like a, he's, I guess he's like a, a producer and he's, he's in charge of like a type or genre of the Audible library. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me, he's like, you know, I get so many pitches and I love them and you look at the treatments and whatever, but then I need something. He, he says he listens like something like 50 hours of, of, he, he said it's impossible to like actually consume the product because there's so much of it and listening is always linear. And, mm -hmm. it, and it really struck me, right? Because if you're really paying attention, you can only do it like in one channel at a time, right? So like mm -hmm. I'm listening to this show and then I stop and I listen to this other show. Mm -hmm. And, um, so even though it is cool and immersive and whatever, if you have that job, it's a, it's a bit of a bear. I can imagine. Cause you can't really it doesn't do scale beyond. Each. Yeah. It doesn't scale. There you go. That's the way to say it. It doesn't scale. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, you, I, I guess the, the one out people have is listening at one, one and a half or one and a quarter times speed or something like that. But you know, that doesn't, that's not going to help you capture the vibe or, or really what's, you know what I mean? There's, there's certain things I've, you miss for sure. I've had a number of people tell me that they listen to this show at one and a quarter or one and a half speed. And I'm like, really? I, I mean, because I, 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 I talk pretty fast, but then it's say, not a question. <laughs> should we slow it's, down? <laughs> well, it, but it's, but that's the thing is it, you know, another one of these Holy Spirit realizations, not everything is about you, right? So yeah. they, because the, the, I naturally I was like, maybe I'm talking too slow. But the thing was they had to commute and, mm. and they're trying to kind of like map the, their podcast. Before, yeah. yeah. They're trying to get it in before, you know, the, sort of like get it all in before it's over. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, those are some of the the technological vagaries, which by the way, creatives typically hate the idea that you can fast forward or you can do different things like that because then you kind of mess with the ambiance. But Sure. No, but I, I mean, most, most filmmakers want their stuff seen on the big screen only, right? Because that's the only like true cinematic experience. You know, there's too much variables uh, in people's houses and so forth. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. The other thing about audio is it's kind of theater of the mind, right? Where people kind of draw up their own pictures in their head. At least I think, I, I think so with, uh, I listened to this podcast. I don't know if you have favorites, but one of my favorites, it's actually, it's actually a guy that I know. Uh, his name is Jimmy Aiken. He's a, mm -hmm. he's an apologist. He's been working with Catholic answers for like a hundred years. And he's, he's, a, he's a, they, they nicknamed him robo Catholic mm -hmm. because he knows literally like something about everything. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the council of Nicaea and like zombies and, you know, <laughs> yeah. the bark beetle of Madagascar, like mm -hmm. he knows all this kind of stuff, but he has this podcast, um, called mysterious world mm -hmm. where he looks at, um, yeah, I've listened to it before. Oh, you have. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So then, you know, you, you know, all about it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, you know, to the theater of the mind is like when you hear him talking, like I'm drawing all I'm seeing like a lot because he's super descriptive, as you know. Right. So mm-hmm. he's he's giving you like every nook and cranny of some obscure, you know, apparition somewhere. And you're like and you can kind of picture it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, I know he does it on video, too, but it would kind of ruin it for me. If I was like mm-hmm. watching it on video, I don't know. I agree with that. I, there's something about, plus, you know, the, the pressure is off, right? If you, if you, if you, if you view podcasts as an audio first medium, then it is something that you can do when you're on your drive or when you're mowing your lawn or whatever else, you know, those, those kinds of not fully auto. I don't want to say anyone, hopefully no one's on autopilot when they're driving, but, right. but you know, to, to the extent where you, you kind of know what you're doing and it's, it's not a big deal. Um, It's kind of what, it's kind of what worries me a little bit though, about the medium is that there's such this push to video and it's mostly about monetization, right? Mm. That's why you want to push it into video so that you can, you know, put it on YouTube and start monetizing it and include logos and different things like that. Mm. And if, if, and that's kind of the direction I feel that the whole industry is going. Um, But then we kind of lose something, right? Which is this, I mean, for me, maybe I'm just romantic about it, but you kind of lose a little bit of that sort of storytelling mystique, you know? Yeah. I think what you're referring to is the fact that, um, you can see yourself in the audience. You can, you can imagine yourself in the audience when it's audio, because you're not looking at yourself, not there, (laughs) you know, it's in your own ears. It's almost like it's in your head. Um, there's a, there's a fascinating book called understanding comics by Scott McCloud. Uh, that Mm. is really interesting if you, if you want to take comics a little more seriously. Uh, and they, one of the things that I found so interesting is when he describes, um, the the fact that comics by the fact that they are they're not a they're not a technical type of drawing right they're they're um they're specifically made so that details are left out and one of the things that that does is it allows each of us to see ourselves in the characters because the details are are not filled in in the face this could be any number of people so it allows you to enter so this is why i think kids relate to comic books so well also because it's visual so there's something there but but you know you can you can insert yourself into the lives of these characters in a way that it's more difficult to do when you're actually watching a show. You know it's not you in the show that you're watching in a live action film, right? But you don't know that it's not you necessarily when in a comic book. It's there's there's an imagination thing. Plus, they're doing things that maybe people can never do, right? Because you can draw whatever you want. So wow, yeah, that's amazing. I've never heard that. That is really cool. It actually brings a whole new level of meaning to the, I had this exchange with um, the, the actor who plays Jesus on the chosen Jonathan Rumi. Yeah. And we did this, um, this recording together about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago. And, you know, we're, we're talking about playing Jesus, which yes, it's predictable, but you know, I, you got to go there right in this conversation. And, um, and I, and I asked him, because if you look at other people who played Jesus, um, you had uh, Robert Powell, I think is his name, that did Jesus of Nazareth. And then you had Willem Dafoe and Last Temptation of Christ. You had Caviezel and all mm-hmm. these other guys, right? And each of those guys had like an approach to their method. Um, and the one that, and when, um, when um, who was it? Was it, uh, was it Powell or was it Caviezel? I think it was, um, oh, it was Robert Powell. the first guy in the 70s, the Jesus of Nazareth movie. And he asked his, um, I guess, like actor, acting mentor, who was happened to be Sir Lawrence Olivier. And he asked him, how not should I play mentor. Jesus? Yeah, not bad, right? Um, <laughs> but um, he asked him, he's like, how should I play Jesus? And Olivier apparently said, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines of, you're never going to get him all the way because A, he's divine and B, you know, people have these this relationship with him that 
is really full and whatever. So play him halfway and let the audience fill in the rest. And it's like what you just said about comics. I, I didn't position it like that, but that's like a variation of the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's like you fill it in with yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now here we are with podcasts, you know, halfway to audio visual, you got the audio. So now you can fill it in the rest of the way in your mind. Yeah. You know? In your that, mind. That's why people love reading. That's why, that's why people don't like watching the movie uh, before they've read the book. If they're a reader, because you know, mm. it's going to ruin certain things or they're going to get it wrong. And you know, you wanted to have that opportunity to use your imagination first. I'm really worried about the state of book reading today because I agree with you. I think books are something wholly different than consuming media in other forms. But, but, but like, I don't see a lot of people reading, mm -hmm. you know, I travel a lot. It's like really rare to see somebody with a book, you know, on yeah. a plane, like typical places you'd read. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. What do you make of that? I agree. It's, uh, you know, there's, <laughs> there's just something that happens when you take time to put your thoughts down on paper, in the written mm -hmm. word. You know, when you are writing out what you think, it's forcing you to get it right, to go back, to make sure that this is really it. Um, and there's going to be revisions. There's going to be rethinking. You're probably going to have conversations about it, but those conversations amalgamate into something that is far more concrete. And a book is like the, 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 the most <laughs> that could be right. That is, it's the, it's the pinnacle of a, of a written thing is a published book. You know, so not only that someone took the time to, to get right, but actually some other people, professionals in the industry have just have, have taken a chance on and so forth. Right. Um, so, and I know that self-publishing is sort of a thing now and that's, that's, it that's is. kind of disrupting that idea a little bit. <clears throat> um, it's, it's just one more crowded, you know, medium um, market, I guess. But yeah, I do think it's an issue because um, when you when you get all of your information from, let's say, news sources or social media or other places where you can a people can phone it in, b it's short short little bites of of not fully thought through ideas. It's just gonna you're gonna end up with um, you know not a not a depth, not a level of depth in any of those places. You know, it, it, there's an aspect of like theater of the mind also to reading where. <clears throat> it's something that it, it's, it, it means something. The fact that when you're reading a story or whatever it may be that you're reading, whatever genre that the narrator is you like the voice you hear in your head is your own voice, right? Telling you this story. And that's gotta mean something, you know what I mean? To your ability to mm -hmm. retain, to be kind of moved by this sort of experience. The fact that you're sort of auto narrating it to yourself I think that's part of it, which of course is completely lost in, in the area of like film or video or even audio. It's like somebody else is telling you the story. Hmm. That's yeah, definitely pace. part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pace. Exactly. It's like, you know, it's like you, you kind of know you the best, right? So yeah. when you're telling yourself the story, it's like, I don't know, it's, it seems like more resonant. Yeah. Cross references, <clears throat> pausing to kind of check something else out, you know, yeah. All those things that go into it. Yeah. It's really crazy. I have a bunch of books in my, um, in my library, like I, I just had somebody spend some time with a, a, a couple that came and spent some time with us uh, in our house in LA. And um, I had this whole conversation with, with, you know, this guy and he was like, you have so many books and like, they're amazing and whatever. And I, and I recognized in looking at these books, like how, like each of them is kind of part of this chronology, right. Of, of, of my life, of moments of the spiritual journey which I also want to talk to you about, mm -hmm. but like, you know, moments of that, um, you know, kind of the story of your life and they're all, they're, they're sort of sitting there, but they each have like, they're each like reflective of a, of a, of a moment, you know, like a moment in time. Like I can see a book on my, on my shelf and go, I remember 
kind of what I, what I was doing, what I felt, where I was, how I perceive things at the time of reading that book in a different way than I can with most uh, movies. I mean, there's a few where like, yeah, like Passion of the Christ, I remember, you know, um, a couple of other things that are just, you know, sort of like idiosyncrasies mm. of mind with mm. particular movies. But there's something about like, you know, the book that kind of captures that moment of where you were. And then it sort of just sits there, even if you're not reading it, it reminds you of that. That's interesting. You know, I, I would say that's, I don't know if that's true for me. I think, okay. I think for me, it's music is the, is the thing for that. You know, oh, I think, yeah. I think when I listen back to, when, to, to albums, I'm immediately transported to where I was when I first heard it, when I, when I often used to hear it, you know, that kind of mm. thing. I think that's the um, books. I mean, yeah, I can generally imagine where I was, but I think I, you know, with books, you're looking at something. So I'm mostly paying attention to the page with music you are generally looking at something else. <laughs> yeah, I don't usually yeah. just close my eyes and listen, like we were talking about podcasts. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I have a vivid memory. And even with with movies, you know, you've got your eyes glued to the screen, whether you're in a theater or you're at home or wherever. But with music, it's it's more, um, it's, since it's just audio, you've got the visual reminder and maybe I'm just a visual memory person. I don't know. But yeah. Are you, would you consider yourself a kind of extroverted, introverted? Like what's your... I like to say that I'm an ambivert. If that's yeah. okay. <laughs> I, I test right on the line actually uh, okay. in my MBTI type. So, mm-hmm. um, and I know you're not, it's not supposed to really matter how close you are, but I think it kind of does. Like I, I find myself, um, I, I love hanging out with people that I know, um, but I, I do not gain energy from meeting strangers. So when I'm at a conference yeah. or something, I almost always have to skip a session and go back to my room and just recharge because I am, I am, get burnt out when I'm meeting new people constantly. That's, that's me too. I never heard it expressed that way. But when I did my first Myers-Briggs, this has been my corporate career, which we also have some, in, some commonalities there. But in my corporate career, I remember they hired some super pricey um, consultant to come and give us a bunch of stuff. But one of them was a kind of Myers-Briggs assessment. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting with her afterwards because I'm an introvert, according to Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had this kind of like executive role and leading hundreds of people and whatever. And mm-hmm. literally the first words out of her mouth, she's got like, she's got the results in her hand and she looks at me and she goes, you must be exhausted all the time. <laughs> Can I ask you what your type is? I, it's I N I forget the, the sequence introvert. What are the classes? There's J in there too, right? Yeah. That's judging. Uh huh. And then, uh, Uh, it would be an F or a T third. Yeah. It's F for sure. Okay. I N F J then. Something like that. And I, okay. So you, you know what that is, right? Like I N F J is like, so this is so fascinating. I N F J is the mother Teresa type. It's like the, uh, it's like extremely rare. I think it's like 1% of the population or something like that. Um, but mm. when I was leading the marketing team at the sales, uh, we did MBTI for the first time at the sales. And, uh, I think I had like 13 people on my team and of, of 13, five were INFJs. <laughs> it's like way, <laughs> way more than it should have been because people I think to. people are, I think this type of p- person is drawn to working in ministry. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's super interesting. They got to, they got to look to, you got to open up a, you know, a HR practice or a hiring practice or something to source people. Then if you're getting that kind of result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I would describe myself similarly to what you did. I draw energy, generally speaking from moments of solitude, mm-hmm. generally, but my life and the way that I've been kind of formed, just like you, I'm sure has you out like in front of a lot of people, oftentimes strangers and not just passively, but actively, like you're probably 
leading sessions, you're leading teams, you're speaking, you're doing different things like that. So I can do that, and I would think I can do some of that really well. But it, it's like the battery, if you like picture the phone battery, like it's it's going, it's like clicking away. It's like eating away really fast, Where whereas other kind of more intimate or, or, or you know, solo environments, like I can hold on to that charge significantly longer. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like wiped out mm-hmm. at the end of, uh, you know, a typical conference mm-hmm. or, or even like, you know, media things like media appearances or interviews or that kind of thing. It, it, it takes a toll, like to have that level of attention. My wife is the exact opposite. Like, I mean, her energy level increases exponentially um, by virtue of the number of people that she's interacting with. And the more stranger, the, be- the better for her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So she's the counter, the counter opposite yeah, or whatever. I, yeah. We all know these people, you know, think of a salesperson in your life. <laughs> you know, this is a person who loves meeting new people, cannot wait to talk to, yeah, I just, I, it, it's fascinating. It's great. I mean, it's, it's really, you know, you know, the beauty of it is, is just how God has made us all so differently. And, the, and we all, we, we all can appreciate these gifts. It's just, uh, yeah. And we, and we all fit together. Yeah. So I, I do I test re- as an E, yeah. but I'm not, I don't, I don't feel like a, a, an extra. You do. Okay. Yeah. So you, te- so you're, yeah. So interesting. Yeah. No, I'm definitely hard. I, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I recognize in myself, some of the description that you gave about the conference. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to go back because, you know, you and I talked about this in the kind of pre the, the preamble to this show that, I try hard to not theme episodes, right? Um, I want to have conversations with super interesting people, of which, of course, you are. And I want to just have whatever comes out come come out. But at the same time, I want to honor something that you and I talked about because I actually think it's really interesting. And um, so at the risk of overly thematicizing our conversation, I did want to double-click into this notion of the spiritual journey, which... You, um, in your role at the sales have, you know, recently, you know, commissioned or partnered uh, on a research study that I think has some really interesting insights. And I, I kind of want to dive into what some of that, um, data suggests about the spiritual journey, because I think that's a huge topic that we don't spend a lot of time on before we get to that though. I think a lot of the reason why spiritual journey is interesting to to ask a guy like you is because you have an interesting spiritual journey yourself and and one that I recognize like instantly because you've been a guy who's had senior roles in the corporate world. You live in the tri-state area, have worked in and out of Manhattan your career. You've worked in high fashion, cosmetics, all these different things. And now here you are in this kind of much more using some of those tools and talents in the vineyard, right? And to me, that's like, in, it, in and of itself, I don't run into that very often. I got to tell you, it, it, it is my story, but I don't see it a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I got to imagine that this idea of your interest around the spiritual journey has in some part, some part to do with your own journey. Am I, am I, am I close to something? Yeah, there? absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, yes, yes. And I, and, and, and then also I, I would say yes. And, um, so I, I, I can talk more about that, but I guess maybe you're asking about my spiritual journey first. So I'm happy to Happy to divulge a little bit. Yeah. Um, grew up in Southern California, not too far from where you are. Um, uh, so I, I grew up Catholic. Um, my my parents um, grew up in a house of divorce also, I would say. There's been a lot of divorce in my among my parents over the years. Mm. Um, uh, so I thought that I was... Um, 
I thought that I was really Catholic because we went to church on Sundays. You know, I thought that was what it was. <laughs> and uh, didn't really know how how deep it could really go. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I was, I really cared, you know, I, I, I was a product of public school my whole life. So uh, I was going to, I was a very diligent CCD kid, you know, uh, I was that annoying kid that like dressed up and raised his hand for every question and all this stuff. And, um, you know, e- even at the time, you know, people were like, oh, he might, maybe he'll be a priest. Um, really? And, okay. and I never took that seriously. It was never, it was never really on my mind. And unfortunately, uh, I didn't have any guidance in that direction at all. Like my, yeah. you know, my, you know, people don't know what they don't know. And so there wasn't, there, there really wasn't any kind of um, serious thought into that. And I would say that I, the next kind of milestone for me um, in terms of my spiritual growth was when going to college, um, uh, I, I, I started going to church at the church in town and there was like nobody my age whatsoever uh, going to mass. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> and then I figured out we had a Newman Center on campus and that's where they all were. And I was like, ah, okay, so here's the cat. So I kind of learned the, the power of community. And I mm. studied abroad in Australia and I was going to mass. And again, back to that, like, no, no one's going to mass my age. There's nothing going on for young adults, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And I ended up getting really involved in a Protestant church um, uh, just because they had the community. They had it down. You know, I was, I, I was going to mass and this other church on Sundays and during the week and at this, like this long uh, Bible study that they would do together where um, there was real accompaniment happening. You know, yeah. um, they, 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 they would meet uh, men and women together, break off into their separate, you know, uh, genders and, and, and have those types, types of like, you know, intimate conversations and accompaniment. And then come, it was just, they, get, they got it right. So I got to see what that looked like. Um, and then, you know, over time, and by the way, I also, I would say like, I should have mentioned, you know, during CCD, catechized, sacramentalized, not evangelized. You know, I did not have a personal relationship with the Lord. I did mm. not, I didn't pray. I mean, I really, I largely just didn't pray. So it was, it was, that was, that was in that group was the first time I, I remember, uh, consistently starting to pray before I went to bed and stuff like, stuff like that. Um, mm. Let, b- b- break that down a little bit further. Sure. So, like, ca- so catechized, mm-hmm. uh, what was the second thing? Sacramentalized. So, you know, catechized, for- sacramentalized, but not evangelized. Mm-hmm. So would the equivalent in marriage be like taught all about the, the ins and out of matrimony and given a lot of practical tips, but never falling in love? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, um, yeah, I guess so. I guess, yeah, exactly. The falling in love with Jesus would be that, that evangelization piece. Yeah, mm. I think so. And, and I think that's reminiscent of a lot of people's experiences totally. in CCD. I, mean, I, I think this is, and I honestly, Catholic school as well, by the way. I, I don't think it, I, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I mean, I think this is just a lot of people's experience in the church. It, it was, it was, you know, it became industrialized almost. We got to get these yeah. kids their sacraments. So what do they need to learn in order to have this be, Valid, let's say. Uh, I don't want to throw you off your journey, but what is that about, though? Like when you think about that now objectively as an adult, because we get that rap a lot, right? So what is that about? Like we're supposed to have like the fullness and we do have the fullness, supposed to. We have the fullness and, um, you know, we've got all these great gifts and all these different things, but there's this vibe that we're really good at the kind of industrial aspects of 
Christian production, to put it that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we're but we're not so good at the other part of it. So what what is that? And is that just an anomaly of the time that we're in? Like, what is that about in your mind? This is a deep question, Deacon Charlie. Uh, I, I'm not even sure where to start with my answer. I think a lot of people are still in their first half of life. Um, if you can, if you know what I mean, where we're where we're building our container, we're still we're still kind of caught up in identity stuff and right and yeah. wrong and all that kind of thing. So, so I think that when you're being taught by someone who is, who is concerned with that type of stuff, then it's not, it doesn't come from a, it's hard to be fully empathetic towards where someone, uh, where someone else is way earlier in the journey. If you aren't that much further along. Um, mm. And um, I don't know. I th- I think there's, there's an immaturity. There's a spiritual immaturity happening from the people who are doing the formation. I think, I really think that that's ultimately what it is. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. Mm, yeah. And by the way, that's going to tie really well into, you know, why we did this study that I'll tell you about in a minute. Yeah. Um, we'll yeah. keep going. You're in Australia. Okay. Well, let's come back to the States now. So <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I continued, you know, just being a church going Catholic that I would say, looking back, more or less phoning it in. I mean, uh, throughout my 20s. Um, but, but, why, but why did you go from this Protestant kind of evangelical accompaniment, community experience that mm-hmm. kind of filled you with a way that, that wasn't and come back to the States and not look for one of those? Well, I, I still had it uh, in college because I came back to the Newman Center, right? So I, so I still had that. So thankfully that was, that was there. Then I, um, I lived in LA for three years. I worked for my, my dream job was to work for a record label, uh, out of college. And I got to do that. Um, and I kind of just, you know, there's just a extremely secular way about living in the city that if you're not careful, you get sucked into. And I think that's what, I think that's what it was. It's just, I didn't, I was not surrounding myself with like-minded people or maybe I was, and I was saying, you know what I mean? That was the problem. Uh, but I just, I was not, I was not, uh, it was not probably my priority for me. Um, I, that definitely ties into the whole witnessing of the faith thing. That's part of your, your research. Yeah. Were you, were, were you conscious at that time that you were foregoing something or was it not even on the radar? Like, did you, you know what I mean? Like, was it a, a, a conscious thing that you chose? If it, if it was, it was heavily suppressed. Uh, if that makes any yeah. sense, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. I, I, I don't think that I was, I was not, uh, I'm sorry. It's, it's hard to find the words for that type of, yeah, I, uh, look, I, you know, I don't, again, I was taught, I was taught one thing. And so yeah, even though I had had this other experience that was beyond that, uh, it wasn't the majority of my experience. And I think I easily slipped back into my old way of just going to church but not much, not much further, you know, occasionally mm. volunteering or something like that. Like it wasn't, well, you know, I, and I certainly called myself Catholic and I would have conversations with people every once in a while, but it was not, there was not a deeper yearning. There was not a, a deeper desire to go, to go further. Yeah. So you just kind of thought this is what this is like, yeah. To the extent you thought about it, it was like, this is what this is. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, I, um, I lived in Prague for a year, but a year and a half, but uh, I ended up moving to, to Brooklyn. Um, and it's there that I, um, I started doing um, corporate jobs. <laughs> and so yeah. that was, that was like an aspect of this, I think. Uh, and I also had a really vibrant uh, pastor uh, who, who was an amazing homilist, but, um, but also a, a, a friend 
to me. Um, and so, you know, I, I loved, I loved the experience that I had at these corporate jobs. You know, I was, I was getting, I was working with really smart people on great teams and I was getting a lot of experience and it was, it was very formative professionally, but over, you know, at, over time it would just feel like, man, what am I doing? Like, I, I don't care about makeup, skincare and fragrance. I don't, you know, I'm really just helping the, the, the CEO get rich. That's, that's mm -hmm. what this is effectively doing. And, uh, and so I had a conversation with my pastor. Uh, we would, we would go to dinner quarterly, I think. And, um, and I told him, um, is there any way I can work for the Holy See remotely? I think that's what I said to him. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about how this stuff works at the time. And he's, wow, he looked at me awesome. like you're an idiot. <laughs> that's but, uh, <laughs> awesome. But, but he knew what I meant. He knew what was in yeah. my heart. And so he kind of kept that, you know, inside of him. And I ended up working at that place another three years. Ended up, I moved on to a tech company. And the first year was awesome. I was learning a ton. I was working way too much, blah, blah, blah. And then that same feeling crept in again of like, you know what, what am I doing here? I, I drink the Kool-Aid, but this is really just helping the CEO get rich. Mm. And, uh, and, um, at the same, around that same time, he came back around to me and he said, Hey, are you still interested in working for the church? Because my director of marketing is leaving and we're looking for someone. So our, our, uh, you know, regular kind of friendly meetups became an informal interview over the course of about a year. And, uh, mm. finally, when they, that person left, they got pulled in and it was really scary for me because, um, I was, you know, <laughs> I was going from like a fortune 500 company to a blue chip startup to an unknown Catholic media company. <laughs> you know, I was like, is this just career suicide? Cause in my mind, I wasn't planning to stay for a long time. Uh, this was, this was going to be the next, you know, stone that you skip to and hop away. And, you know, and I just. I was worried about my resume. That was like the main concern. For sure. Yeah. Um, I want, uh, uh, not again to slow you down, no, but I want to just kind of um, shape a little bit of the contrast here, draw a little bit of a clearer picture for yeah. folks that the, first of all, you, you know, the, the corporate, the big blue chip uh, corporation that you, that you mentioned is one that I'm very familiar with. In fact, it was a client of mine for many years in my different advertising capacities. And I've been in their headquarters and all that stuff. And this is a, you know, it's a very, you know, big corporation and, uh, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the type of corporate setting, big brand, lots of equity and all this other stuff. And then you go into this sort of higher tech startup universe, which is in itself a big pivot, right? Mm -hmm. For those who may not have ever done that, it's, I have, and, and you have, and it's a very, very, you know, different it's world. It's another world. Yeah. It's a completely different world. Right. And then which in itself, you kind of, a lot of people think about like, Hey, what about, you know, what about my career track? Right. I'm kind of going into this unknown. Nobody's ever heard of this company. Another ironic twist, Dave, is that that company that you went to work for was actually a vendor to my startup before my current company. Mm. So I know that company pretty well as well. Um, and you know, so there's the contrast in between those things. And then there's also all the relationships that you have in each of those settings, right? So as you're kind of leaving the corporate world for the startup world, there's there's an ebb and flow of friendships and relationships where some people get it, some people don't get it. You lose touch with some people, you, you pick up new people. But then the move outside of the secular world into the church world, there's the career piece of it, which is logical for anybody to just think about. But t like, what was the, the, the sort of change of orbits like, right? Because you have to tell the people at this startup on some level, you're going to say, I'm going to go do X or maybe yeah. you didn't. I don't know. No, but I did. Like, yeah. That conversation well, so what, happened. What is that like? That was, 
I mean, literally someone's like, so God's your boss now? <laughs> like there was, they were, you know, um, what, it, what, is it, what it was like was they tried to keep me by saying, well, why don't you just, why don't we just um, do something where like every month you, you have a day to work for them. You can like volunteer. It's I was like a like, hobby. I, yeah, yeah. I was like, that's not yeah. what I want. Um, and, wow. they're, and they're like, well, you know, and like, they're like, normally we would try to offer you more money, but that's not what this is about. Like you, you're, you're pursuing something else and we it's can't. It's crazy. It's like kryptonite. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally. I mean? There was nothing yeah. they could say. There was nothing they could say wow. because they could tell that, that I, like there was a change happening here. Um, yeah. you know, and, and, and by the way, like, you know, going to work, like I will say, um, in all those jobs, I always felt like the Catholic. I was like the, even at times, the religious person. Like, mm. as, 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 un, <laughs> as unengaged as I, I now feel like I was then, looking back, all those times, I was, I was the religious person at work, which is like really fascinating. And it's then, wild. Yeah. yeah. And then getting because to the sales, it, I was like, oh, I'm like the least, I'm like the least religious right, person exactly. <laughs> you know, there's Let a, me show you what devotion looks like. Yeah, yeah. Right. So there's, you know, there's always, there's always a different pond with different fish in it. Um, did you, did you lose friendships in these moves? Um, did I somebody mean, just go like, I don't get it. I didn't realize you were that all in. And like, I got some problems with that. Or I no? would say no. I would say no, uh, not, not yet, not yet because, because the real conversion hadn't happened. Maybe the real reversion, if you want, hadn't, hadn't fully happened yet. So I would say not yet. I I think like, I lose touch with anyone loses touch with someone when you're not around folks, but no, I would say that was not, that didn't happen yet, but that, that that is to come. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I definitely have. Um, and some of these things you realize explicitly because you just know that there's people that you were talking to and then you just they stop, but you didn't, you know what I mean? Some of it yeah. is pretty explicit, yeah. but the other stuff that I've kind of come to understand through just a bunch of different, like various signals out in the world is how many people have second thought or like their association with me because of my faith mm-hmm. um, or how, or how far I was willing to take the, like, it's fine if you like, whatever you do on the weekend is fine with me. You know what I mean? But like, just don't, don't live it so much so that I have to make a decision. And, um, I had this conversation with my business partner not too long ago and he told me because he's not religious, he's secular kind of progressive humanist type. Mm -hmm. But he told me that a number of investors that he talked to had, um, you know, told him over a beer kind of thing. It's like, well, how can you work with that guy? Like, that's kind of a strange, you know? And so if that's Mm -hmm. happening, I can only imagine the calculus of those same people about a potential partnership or a potential deal or whatever it is. So I don't have like data to back me up, but I got to imagine that my universe has sort of shrunk in certain areas mm-hmm. and expanded in others. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, uh, that's absolutely true. Um, and so I'll, I'll tell the story about uh, a friendship I lost in a second. So, um, so, so now I'm working for the sales um, and <laughs> the, the second challenge hits, which is seeing how the sausage is made. And, mm. and, and actually it's at this point, maybe a year in, uh, that I, that I stopped going to church, uh, completely for the first time in my life. It, um, it was while at the sales, while at the sales. Um, I, I, it was a real struggle. I hadn't lost faith in God, but I had lost faith in faith in the church. Um, you and know, for those who don't know, Dave, well, what, is, what is the sales? Just for those the who sales don't know, media is a, is a Catholic ministry based in the diocese of Brooklyn, um, that does, uh, all kinds of stuff across news, education, um, 
marketing agency work, technology, and um, produ- video production, essentially. So, so your very, job is very essentially, high level. <laughs> yeah, so, but it's like basically to bo- to kind of equip, uh, you know, parishes, dioceses to 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 best you know minister to the to to their congregations, as yeah. well as I'm sure, you know, media and and different things that you guys do on your own to reach people directly. Is right. That like a, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, and just I, I head up the DeSales Tech uh, division, which basically tries to modernize, um, you know communications in the church through better software and hardware and so forth. So we work with, like you said, parishes, dioceses, schools, ministries to mm. up, you know, modernize their, their communications technology. So you're, you're, you stopped going to church. I, I stopped going to church. Um, it was a dark, it was a dark time. Um, mm. you know, obviously, <laughs> uh, and, um, it, a lot of things, a lot of things brought it about, you know, there was the, it just obviously the sex scandal in the church was not, uh, not the least of them, but there was a lot mm. of things. Uh, and, um, it really wasn't until I met the person who had become my wife, um, that, that it all kind of started going, going, going back the right way. Um, uh, I like to say that we brought each other back to church. She was, she was attending a, an evangelical church at the time. Uh, and she asked me if I wanted to go to church with her. And I said, sure. Um, and you know, we were just early dating at the time and we went a couple of times and it was a Hillsong style, you know, sure. church. And I was just not into it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, I, uh, there was so many things missing, but the biggest among them was the Eucharist. I, I, I missed the Eucharist. I, I legitimately, it sounds corny maybe, but, uh, but it was real. And I asked her if she wanted to come to mass with me. Um, and I thought this was going to be a difficult conversation, but it turned out that she actually was raised Catholic, but just hadn't ever received her sacraments for totally other reasons. Um, and, uh, so we went to mass and we really never stopped going to mass after that. That was, that was kind of how we, how we did. And she ended up receiving all her sacraments before we got married, uh, which was all during COVID. So very recently. Wow. Yeah. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And so, so she, she came into the church and kind of reverted you. Yeah. It's, I mean, we kind of did to each other, like I said, and, and, uh, it was just, yeah, ever, ever, it was that along with a whole host of other different things that I can kind of point to, um, a, a priest in my life, um, who's a, who's a great friend of mine has really, um, been a, a shining star for me. You know, I, I, you know, there's these people that you, that you might know that you feel like that person is probably a saint. Like I'm, I think I'm, this, I think yep. I'm, I think I'm yep. with a saint right now. Yep. Um, yeah, that, that's who he is to me. And, uh, and I don't want to, you know, we're, we're like peers in a lot of ways. So I don't want to put him on like a pedestal. Um, but he, he deserves the credit. Like this, this guy like legitimately, te- even when he's not talking, he's teaching me so much. Um, yeah. about how to be around people, how to see Christ in the other, like legitimately. So totally. there's that, there's small groups that started happening for me in my life and in, in various forms um, uh, where I, where I started and I wasn't really even intentionally, but just, I started having um, these, these uh, really powerful Catholic support groups. That's a, I don't want to say it like that, but just, um, just accompaniment groups, you know, where, yeah, where we would fellowship. just, we would talk mm-hmm. about church stuff and we'd talk about our spiritual lives and exactly fellowship and all that. That's super important though, to be able to have forums to share that stuff. 100%. Especially in the world you were in, 100%. I mean, and coming from. Yeah, exactly. And I had it within the world and I also had it outside of the world, which I think is really he- healthy. 
because, mm. you know, it's, it's one thing to, to find your people at work, but it's, uh, even if you work for the church, um, but it's another thing to find your people, you know, uh, where you can talk about work, you know, that kind of thing uh, or whatever. Um, but just to, you know, just to be able to have, so that was, all these things are kind of coalescing. And meanwhile, like I'm getting way more into reading spiritual books and I'm, mm. I'm I, I now lead, I now lead two spiritual book clubs, one inside the sales and one outside the sales. Um, and you know, just everything has kind of been, um, reoriented, re reprioritized. You know what I mean? Um, I also, I also think about the importance of individual people in, in our journey, right. In our kind of spiritual journey, you mentioned this priest friend of yours. Mm -hmm. I know people like that. I, you know, I, 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 um, I would say my current pastor, I just got a new pastor and I'm just getting, cause I, I, I transferred parishes, um, as people who listen to the show would, would already know, but I've been there for a few months and I'm still getting to know him, but he's a guy who I would summarize as somebody who actually cares about the soul of the person. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you're going to get what you want or what you expect every time, but you can walk away knowing or feeling that whatever it is, it, it, it's somebody, it's coming from the point of view of somebody who actually cares for your soul. Mm -hmm. And that's like really reassuring in a way. The other person I'd put in that category instantly comes to my head is pretty predictable, but it'd be my wife. I joke with her that if I make it into heaven, God willing, right? I'll be the guy who like sticks his foot in the door as it's closing. And like, I'll say, no, 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 I, I know Jessica. And they'll like, you know, they'll use the headset to call up to her and go like, we got a guy down here who, uh, you know, who says he knows you and, you know, she'll have to vouch for me, for me to get into like the lower rungs. You know, I'll still need, I'll need a telescope to see where she's at. But, uh, but as long as I get in, I'm happy. Let me just do the landscaping. Right. <laughs> but, but it's super important, like individual people. And uh, oftentimes we forget that we can be, that individual person for somebody else's journey, right? Yes. It, yes. It, and especially the laity. It's not, I mean, I know you mentioned a priest, but like that duty of being that point of light 100%, in other people's lives. 100%. And you're right. My wife is, is absolutely that for me as well. Um, but, but yes, the, the, I mean, and we're, and we're going to talk about that too, uh, about in, in this study, because I think that's a lot of the import of it. Um, but you asked me about losing friends and this is where it really happened is where I started, when I started getting much more serious about discipleship, um, the guy, <laughs> the guy who was my best man at my wedding didn't mm. come to my reception a year later because we had not, we had stopped being friends in the meantime. And, wow. and, uh, I, he, he, uh, started dating someone. I had asked him, um, I asked him what I always asked him, which is what's her relationship with God? And he said none, and that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. We we the just the fact that you asked him. Well, we just disagreed about this so much, and he, he yeah. And and you're right. I was just being curious. I because I care. You know, I want I want that for him. Uh, uh, but he he saw it as you know judgment. Like this is yeah. you know, if this person isn't measuring up, then it's not worthy or not whatever. Mm. So uh, so yeah, we he we kind of just. Decided, it felt like a breakup. I mean, it hurts so bad. Yeah, of course, to, of course. Um, but yeah, it was. Anyway, so there's that's an example of of, uh, and that's not the only example of of just kind of. It's not always as dramatic, you know. Usually, it's just you, you kind of lose touch with the people that. But yeah, there's there's like uh, once you once you like align yourself fully with God, um, there's there are going to be people who cannot appreciate that. There will be haters. Will that be. is for <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's actually, you know, the total side note, but since we're both in, you know, marketing people, that's probably the best campaign I've ever seen in my entire life was 
Adidas's campaign, There Will Be Haters. Hmm. I got to check <laughs> it that was, out. It was, uh, yeah, it's, it was for the last World Cup, so you could, you could look it up. But it was kind of the same vibe, which was, you know, you diving headlong into something and really selling out to it is going to bring with it a lot of people who just don't get it, who it doesn't compute for. Mm-hmm. We have the added um, responsibility as Christians to desire the good of people, even when they are going to be haters, right? So mm-hmm. that clearly was not part of the Adidas campaign. You know, <laughs> loving your people, enemies. <laughs> people, loving your enemies was not part of it. It was just like, yeah, they're going to be haters. So just, you know, just keep doing your thing and and, and dive in. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, you know, it's, it's about carrying the cross, right? It's the narrow path. It's about, you know, dying to self. It's about mm-hmm. crucifixion. It's about, you know, if we're not kind of living those moments, I had a friend re- not too long ago, actually, who's not religious at all. And I was telling him about some kind of difficulty, some hardship in my life. And he's like, yeah, but isn't that like, doesn't that in a way kind of confirm that you might be doing the right thing given what you believe? And I was like, oh yeah. (laughs) It's like, you know, sometimes you get like wisdom from all these places you don't Mm -hmm. expect because his thought was, wait a minute, hardship and fighting through things is an aspect of the Christian walk. It's like, that's what helps you transform. And oftentimes those challenges are formative. And like here I'm getting this lesson from a guy who like doesn't even believe in God. And it's like, hey man, it's just, God's amazing. He's so frugal. He'll use anything and anyone, right? Oh, yeah. and, and how and how you can be formed in these strange ways by, you know, by folks you didn't, you know, anticipate. That happens to me all the time. Absolutely. You know, I, in high school, my favorite book at the time was The Count of Monte Cristo yeah. uh, by Alexander Dumas. And I, uh, and they made a movie out of it around that time, which I guess would have With been. DiCaprio, wasn't he in it? Um, no, I think you're thinking, thinking of the Three Musketeers. Um, or The Man in the Iron Mask, right? It was Man like in the all, Iron Mask. All, yeah, yeah, that was, I think that was all around the same time-ish. You know, the yeah. the one movie studio does something like, oh, this is in now. But, it worked. <laughs> yeah. Go do two more. <laughs> but the yeah. movie version that had come out in the early 2000s um, was obviously worse than the book, like we had talked about before. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but one thing they did really well, they added a line that wasn't in the book, as far as I remember, um, where, where he said, where he, he's, you know, he's in jail for a long time. Uh, and he, and he, and he's talking to the, to the priest who's in jail with him. And he's like, he's like, I don't believe, he's like, he's talking about trust in God. And he's like, I don't believe in God. And, uh, and the guy, and he, and the, the, the priest calmly says to him, that's okay, because he believes in you. You know, yeah. and I think that's, I think that's why, uh, you know, friends, people like your friend who, who doesn't believe in God, God's going to, God can use him anyway. That's, it's, uh, there's, I think there's a beauty to that. And there's something that might, that might spur in him, uh, later on, you know, uh, yeah, it is this kind of two way street dynamic, right. Which I've come to realize in my later years, um, you know, more, more recently, this, this notion of the 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 tools that God uses to impact us oftentimes are um they're not expected and in some cases it's a direct about face of what you believed or thought so for, you know for example especially in ministry and I'm sure you run into this but like you know we we tend to approach things as we're the minister right we're ministering to people who need ministry and you know the way God sees it is here's two of my kids having a conversation <laughs> yeah right right and both of them need to go to that next level of whatever that is in their, in their walk, right, in their journey. And so it's not just about you in this kind of one-way dialogue or monologue, rather, with somebody about the beauty of the faith and evangelism, but it's also how is that interaction, no matter who it is with, helping to actually bring you along, yeah. right? And, and that second part is easy to forget. It, at least it is for me. 
Well, it's not only that. You also, you know, look, proselytization doesn't work. We know this. <laughs> yeah. So, so any type of any type of conversation you're ever having should not be with the outlook of I'm gonna I'm gonna I have the truth and I'm gonna bring this person around. Like that is I'm sorry, that's not what we're talking about when we say evangelization, right? The the, the most you can do for most people is listen to really listen, right? That that's that's where accompaniment starts. Mm. Um, and, you know, so, and if, if, if I think a, a definition I really like of, of what it means to be a disciple is to be able to see Christ in every person that you meet, if you can truly see Christ, that includes yeah. the atheists, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and we've got a problem with that in certain sectors, you know what I mean? Where it's like, it's, it's very easy in such polarization that we have in this country right now to be dismissive, right? To, to like... And it's and and almost mixing somebody's behavior with their value, right? Um, somebody did something, said something, supports something mm-hmm. that is in direct contravention of the gospel. Ergo, I'm just kind of going to give up on them, right? I, I I feel this a lot, and maybe you, as a former Angelino or Southern Californian, maybe get this too. You run into people, and they're like, "How could you live there?" And well, now in the tri-state area, probably you still get it. But like, if mm-hmm. you go to Indiana for some conference and you'd say, Hey, I live in Brooklyn or, or I work in Brooklyn. People are like, what, how can you do that? I get that kind of thing all the time. And one of my first thoughts after I hear that is like, well, like, I don't want to just abandon people because they may not kind of be where I'm at. Right. Or share my own view of, you know, the fullness of the faith, et cetera. In other words, like this whole idea of being the leaven in the dough, like, you still need some leaven. Like where's the leaven? Mm-hmm. And, and the dough oftentimes is like in places you don't want to be. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like, we just can't all be like leaven congregating because then there's <laughs> right. no bread. Well, right. We're not the salt of the earth, except for in the ma- major metropolises or something. We're the salt right, of the earth. Exactly. Period. exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there's a ton of food that needs seasoning over there. I know, but we're just going to be yeah. seasoning each other. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like well, we're going to get saltier. We're going to just ignore the largest the largest congregations of people <laughs> like, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, that being said, I did, I did move out of the city because I was kind of sick of the city. Um, well, but, I, but, believe me, I can understand that. But, yeah, but, for sure. But that isn't, uh, that that's not because I wanted to be rid of, you know, uh, non-believers in my life or something like that. Yeah. Hey, can, can you go a little bit longer? Cause Absolutely. I think we could do, Okay, let's do it. We're going to do a two-parter here. So, um, yeah, we haven't I, gotten I really, to the study yet. <laughs> no, I know. That's what I'm saying. But I, I really do want to get to the study. But it's just, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to probably just uh, break this up. So, yeah. if you're, if you're listening, you can anticipate a break here. But, <laughs> um, I, I do want to talk because all of this stuff is about journey. All of this stuff is about, you know, how obviously God has been working in our own lives through different relationships, through things that are challenges and things that are really good and all that stuff. And all of that's indicative of this kind of broader journey that people are on. Just to tee this up, because this is really where I want to hear, you know, the experience you've had with this particular study, but just to tee it up, I've been fascinated by the notion of the kind of spiritual journey. If only to understand how it differs today from 50 years ago. Like if that's all I learned, I'd be stoked. Mm. Like that, because that to me is really interesting. And I think about these things kind of like as a business guy and a guy who came up in the secular marketing world, you're always looking to see like track changes, track trends, look at new insights. Like Mm -hmm. that's just like, I'm built. Measure against the benchmarks. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's sort of like built into the way that I look out at the world. So one of the very first conversations I had 
about this topic was with the CEO of a big Catholic media company. I won't name it, but people can probably guess what it is. But I had a conversation with him and I asked, I was like, well, how do people enter into a relationship that makes them devoutly Catholic? Like, I want to understand what that looks like because I can imagine making it up but 50 years ago or a hundred years ago, whatever it is, the pathways into that relationship with Jesus maybe we're just more clearly defined, right? So, and, I, and I'm making it up at this point because I don't know, right? So I'm saying, okay, you've got a educational, uh, you know, system that a lot of it is parochial and a lot of it is sort of routing people into this understanding of the faith. That's one. You've got a culture that even though it's not Catholic, this is 50 years ago, even though it's not Catholic, maybe more broadly supports the idea of a God-centered universe. You've got, um, you know, you don't have as much of the noise and distractions of social media and whatever. So it's not that easy to get sort of, you know, put off the scent of faith. Right. So I got to imagine that 50 years ago or hundred years ago, the ways in were different and the sort of let's, you know, again, using marketing terms, which are always unsatisfactory, but the efficiency or the efficacy of those paths were X and now they're Y, but like, let's measure that kind of delta and understand what it actually is. So my thought was, I really wanted to try to understand like what, what are the on ramps mm -hmm. into the faith today, 2022 in the waning moments of 2022 versus 1960 or whatever period of time you want to pick before, because I think in better understanding that we can understand as a church and as ministries and apostolates, different strategies. Um, you know, even though the ultimate goal is, Clearly, relationship with Jesus, right? I, we got that. But like, what are the, what's the pre-evangelization? Just to put it that way, what's the pre-evangelization paths into that relationship with Jesus Christ and how are they different? So that is just a way to frame my interest around this subject mm -hmm. for you and for the folks listening, because I think that there's a lot to be gained from that understanding. I agree with you. Um, and I think, I mean... In terms, I, I, one thing that I think hasn't changed, and I think will never change, about you know the ways into the faith and the, the, the those, that invitation piece, is one-on-one um, -on -one personal accompaniment. I know I keep saying mm -hmm. this word, mm -hmm. but um, I think that when there's a conversion of heart, it's almost always in a private, you know, like one-on-one -on -one or a small group setting with people in person with one another having some kind of moment, you know, uh, whatever that looks like. And it, um, and that moment could be over a long period of time. I'm not saying it has to happen instantaneously or something like that. In fact, we asked that about this, we asked that in the study too. Uh, and so just to preview some of the data here, um, yeah. only 5% uh, of respondents said that, and we'll talk about who the respondents are, 5% said that, um, their faith journey was, uh, was comprised of significant breakthrough moments. Um, 27% said it was a long gradual path, but 68% said it was a mix of both, uh, breakthrough moments and a long gradual path, which I think is, that made sense to me. You know, I think yeah. that is what most of us experience, which by the way, is why I don't really like, uh, you know, media that sensationalizes, uh, this amazing breakthrough that somebody has. Most of the time, that's what we see, right? We, we, we see these conversion stories that are like, 
I was about to die and then yeah. I saw through the veil and now, now I'm a priest. It's like, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I love that yeah. for you, but that's unrelatable to most people because most people don't have that. And you watch it and you're like, well, I guess I'm screwed. I guess I'm not going to yeah. ever have this, have what he has. I'm not going to have the faith that he has because I didn't have that, you know, whatever moment. That's not, that's actually not mostly what people have. So I think that- And it tends to be, yeah, it's vanishingly small on a percentage basis, I'm sure, in terms of, well, the data, I guess, bore it out, that it isn't, it isn't the majority. It kind of reminds me also of like our view of uh, the demonic, right? Like exorcisms and things like that. My brother is an exorcist and, or he's trained as an exorcist. He's not the official exorcist here in Los Angeles, but Mm -hmm. in any case, you know, the idea of an exorcism is extraordinarily rare. Like possession Mm -hmm. is extraordinarily rare. Mm -hmm. Now, demonic activity- is all over the place, mm-hmm. but it's like, it, it, you know, it's like the, it, an actual possession and exorcism is the exception, not the rule in that universe. And similarly here, it sounds like these sort of, you know, mystical transformative near NDE kind of, you know, seeing behind the veil kind of things are not by and large, the thing that drives people into that, into that, you know, relationship. Yeah. So if that's, if that sounds like you too, that's the long gradual path or a mix of both. You're not, you're in good company. That's, that's, that's most people. Mm. Um, in terms of, you know, what's having an impact on, um, on people's faith. And you know, so you mentioned pre-evangelization. This is, this is such an important topic, but I, I, um, <laughs> I would, I would, I would almost say that our study specifically goes to the other end of the spectrum uh, okay. of discipleship where we, where we're asking people who are super evangelized, uh, committed what, disciples. Committed yeah. disciples, exactly. What what their faith like is life is like. Mm. And the reason we did that, so let me let me get into you know why why we focused yeah, on please. this particular audience segment to use a marketing term since you know <laughs> I know I'm in good company here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll do that. We, again. Lot, we, ha- we actually have a lot of marketers listen to the show, believe oh, cool. it or not. There's a lot of like secular, not secular, but there's a lot of people with secular experience, I should say it that way, and listen to the show. Okay, great. So um so our current um I mentioned what we do uh, before, which is, you know, sell, sell and support and do success management for these, um, you know, modern communications technology products for the institutional church. So we're selling into parishes, dioceses, schools, ministries, and, um, and we're, we're helping them to up level up their, their, their communications so that, you know, they can hopefully do discipleship and ministry better. That's, that's really the goal here. So, that's all what we call business to business transactions, right? That's all B2B stuff. We're helping the institutional church. But that means that, you know, those pastors, those bishops, they, they, there's a certain level of buy-in that's happening at, uh, uh, you know, that they see a better future and they recognize the role that technology plays in that, which is not, <laughs> it's not all the church, right? Yeah. Uh, so sure. that, that is a hurdle. And, and so, um, we said to ourselves, well, what happened? How do we reach the rest of the faithful, you know, who, who are not necessarily part of those dioceses or, uh, or, or parishes who are forward thinking enough to, to start, you know, up leveling their, their game here in the digital space. Um, and so we, okay. So if that's the case, if that's what we're trying to focus on is a, is a B2C, a bit, you know, business consumer yep. sort of offering. Well, we asked, well, well, we can't just try to meet everyone's needs. That's, that's not, that's just sustainable. So then we said to ourselves, well, who would be the most important audience segment for us to target personally? And I, and this is not to say that pre-evangelization stuff is, is not worth it. It's absolutely important. I love the work that, for example, Grotto Network does and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
um, for us. So if we, if we think about the marketing funnel and I'm, I'll, I'll walk you through it more than you need just for everyone else's sake. Um, so, you know, you've got awareness at the top, basically what, a, what a brand does is say, all right, everyone in the world, there's tons of people in the world who don't know that we exist or what our product is. So we're going to do some high level, uh, promotional, something that, uh, that gets our name out there. And now that we have generated awareness and we've brought people into the funnel, we call it a funnel because there's going to be fewer and fewer, fewer people at each stage as we go down it. So now we've got people aware of this product. Okay. And then, uh, what do we do next? We educate them about the product to try to get them to consider it. So this is the consideration phase. So some of those people will, uh, will take a look at the materials that we create. They get educated, they move down the funnel. Now it's time to ask them to make the purchase. So if they do so, they, we make a conversion. Yes, we call it that in marketing. And uh, they became, they, they, <laughs> so we've made a I sale. Think the, I think Christ, Christianity came first, yeah, <laughs> but, um, with that term, but, but we do use it. We do use in it. In marketing. <laughs> so, now, so now they've purchased the product, but we don't, we're not satisfied there. We don't want them to just buy it once. We, don't want, we, we want a repeat customer. This is why we have loyalty programs, right? So we want them to become a loyal customer, someone who's, uh, you know, uh, regularly buying more. In fact, we want them to be so loyal that they actually start telling all their friends about it because they love this product so much. This is like, you know, imagine your Harley Davidson guy with the tattoo of the logo em emblazoned on his arm because he loves the brand so much. That's a brand advocate. This is someone who mm -hmm. is bringing people back into the top of the funnel, raising awareness about the brand, not because we paid him to do it, but because he loves it so much. What does that sound like? To me, it sounds like a missionary disciple. This is yeah. someone who is on fire for the Lord to the point that they can't help but have the joy of the gospel in all that they do. They want to bring people in, not through proselytization, but, but just by accompanying others, just by trying mm. to be there, being a good friend, being a good listener, whatever. And so if that's the case, if that's true, that that's who's doing the work of bringing people the message of God, then that's who we wanted to focus on. We said, all right, that's our target audience. We want, we want to focus on missionary disciples, intentional disciples, devout Catholics, whatever you want to call them. Now, by definition, even in a marketing context, that audience would be not as numerous, obviously, as the layers that came before it, but they would also have a great amount of brand love and intensity, right? So they would be, they're like super connectors and amplifiers, right? So you it's you get more bang for your buck. Exactly. Also, when you when you connect with those folks. Exactly. And in fact, so we ended up um, we did so we engaged with a research firm called Vinia Research, Catholic research firm, uh, great work, and they um, they they set up two parts of the study: a qualitative and a quantitative uh, portion. The qualitative one basically consisted of them doing long interviews. Uh, long form interviews with a number of who we knew to be intentional disciples and just making sure, you know, asking about their faith journeys and making sure we had the questions right for the, for the majority of it, which was that um, the quantitative part of the study, which is basically a, a survey. And to your point about, you know, um, these people being <laughs> gung ho for the brand, in this case, the faith, uh, they, they, these people were willing to spend over a half an hour filling out a very long survey all about their yeah. faith, uh, which was great because they didn't get anything for it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I really appreciate in. that. But it was really hard to find them. <clears throat> Normally, when you do research like this, you simply rent a list of people who say that they're Catholic and call sure. it a day. Well, we did that 
and we arrived at zero people who who passed just the very first uh, yep. uh, uh, screener questions, which were you know just to make sure that they were Christian, that they were Catholic, that they were in the <laughs> U.S., and that they went to mass at least once a week. <clears throat> and this was this was being conducted when COVID was still very much a thing in a lot of places. So we did even allow wow. for people to say that they were doing it virtually, and still. We, this was, we weren't getting consistent. So, so we ended up, I mean, what I ended up doing is making a long list of Catholic organizations who I thought would have lists of <clears throat> people who are intentional disciples among, among their audiences and said to those organizations, Hey, I don't need your list, <clears throat> but partner with me on this. Just send out the survey to your people because, yep. you know, what's in it for me, obviously, is we get responses. What's in it for you is we'll share the data to you. We'll share, we'll even share your own data so you can see it, how it differs from, you know, the general <clears throat> response population. Super smart. Yeah. And it worked. It took forever, but it worked. Uh, it was a, it was a labor of love for me last year, uh, but we, we ended up getting over 3000 responses. Um, we only, I think needed 500 to be statistically significant, but I wanted it to be much larger than that so that we could slice and dice the data after the fact and still, uh, get statistical significance when we, when we looked at these, um, cross tabulations. So by the way, just the fact that the process of sourcing these peep, these kind of, you know, Harley guys with the tattoo on their arm yeah. was so difficult in itself is an, is an insight, right? Oh yeah. I, I, it's, it's gotta be. It's like, an indicator like, of how few there are out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and we it, know this, right? We, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I, well, I mean, I think we know it, but you know, we know it, most people know it abstractly. Mm. It's like, I can imagine that people who are really living an intentional life as a disciple and who are very, who are devout and who kind of wear their faith on a sleeve, right. To keep using the tattoo analogy, mm-hmm. um, are fewer than those who are just calling it in. Like most people understand that, but going through this where process a would have just been rent a list and fire out a survey yeah. and that's going to help me sell cars and cereals and spaceships. I can do that. No problem. Yeah. But doing this with Catholics, it's like, no, I got to create a whole new methodology I mean, to y- kind of get at this. Y- you know, you say you, you're right that we know it abstractly, but th- let's think about this for a second. In the diocese of Brooklyn, there are reported to be 1.5 million Catholics. This is people who say that they're Catholic, right? Which is, by the way, pretty pretty substantial, you know, given it that is. that's two boroughs out of five just in New York City alone, um, uh, Brooklyn and Queens. Um, now, take take then that only two hundred. This is pre COVID numbers. I don't I don't have more recent numbers than that. But two two hundred twenty thousand uh, of those were going to mass on a at least semi regular basis. That's fifteen percent. Okay, <laughs> huge chop. Wow. Then think about then think about your experience at mass. You know, uh, back in the day, um, uh, even uh, dynamic Catholic quoted the 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 seven percent number, right? That's that rather than the Pareto principle being followed of the eighty twenty rule, they said actually in the, in the Catholic Church, seven percent of the people do eighty percent of the giving and ministry. So now you're thinking about the the people who always show up to kind of everything. There's those those those, and it's not always seven percent, by the way. I think there's a lot of parishes where it's probably even lower, two percent. Yeah, yeah. And then think about within those. Do you think all of them would would really be called intentional disciples, or are some of them just kind of like they think that that's what they need to be doing for status yeah, or new, for it's other, a new job? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so the number is very small. <laughs> whatever whatever it is, it's it, this is not a lot of people. So yeah, it was hard to find them. It was hard to reach them. 
My friend Jason Simon, who uh, runs uh, Evangelical Catholic, mm-hmm. he said he said he said you can imagine about five hundred thousand on fire Catholics out of seventy million. Like that's it. I mean, it's totally arbitrary. But he kind of in, in his twenty years or however long he's been doing this, like it, it's sort of reflective of his experience. So it's probably not off. I mean, we just went from a hundred percent from that one point five million, cut it down to fifteen percent, cut it down to seven, uh, c- cut it in half basically to seven, mm-hmm. and then from that probably in half again, just to get at a pool of people that could maybe realistically give you the data you were looking for. That's right. And and by the way, that, that 70 million number is exactly where we started too with Kara's stats. So yeah, uh, he's, and he's right. I mean, like it depends on your definition, obviously, of what an intentional disciple is. In our case, we define this as, you know, because it's very difficult to make assumptions about people's interior lives, right? And, of course. And, and f- the faith journey is not very linear or static, right? You're, this is not... This is not a two steps forward, two steps forward, two steps forward type of thing. So I, we didn't want to make too much type of judgments, but we also couldn't just ask, hey, are you an intentional disciple of Jesus Christ? Because people have different definitions of what that means, right? Some people who are may simply say they're not out of humility or some other definition. And those who are not may say that they are because they didn't, you know, they're just like, all right, well, he said disciple and I'm a Catholic. So we ended up with beyond those those screener questions that I mentioned, we kind of cleaned up and we made sure that we pulled out people who said that faith is not a significant part or limited to a familiar or cultural part of who I am. We, mm. we pulled out people who never pray outside of mass, who spend zero days of prayer outside of mass. We're like, all right, one, one day a week is not substantial, but I don't, again, we don't want to judge what this person happens to be going through when they took the study. And then finally, those who said faith has zero impact on their family, social, or interior life, leaving a final sample size of 3,137 respondents. Wow. Yeah. So that was your filtering system, basically. Yes. Yeah. I I mentioned to you, and I'll I'll be brief about this, but I mentioned to you that my firm did a similar exercise for one of our clients, and we actually did ask, how devout are you, Mm -hmm. or how much of a disciple are you? But but it was a little bit of a... it was kind of like a fake question in a way, mm-hmm. because what we were sort of secretly doing was measuring devotion differently um, through an algorithm that we built. But we wanted to compare people who had, um, you know, disciple behavior to the percentage of the people who actually, and how they viewed their own devotion, right? So we did ask them like, how devout are you? And mm-hmm. how, and what we find, what we found was a 200%, 250% higher self-reported discipleship and devotion relative to what the algorithm actually indicated. So to say it simply, we found that when asked, Catholics were two, you know, two and a half times uh, more devout than they actually were, said that they were more devout than they actually were. Right. Yeah. Um, and and I, it was, yeah, it was eye-opening. And by the way, I would expect that the opposite would might be true if you were to hone in on this particular audience segment. I think that these people would probably, you know, I, I think a lot of saints would have been very, very, very humble. I mean, I'm using saints as an example, as the, as the people who have gone the furthest, at least that we know of, the furthest yeah. in their discipleship. I, I think that they would be very humble about um, I agree. Uh, about this. You know, D- Dorothy Day said, you know, don't make me a saint, I'm not a saint. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, so I think that, I think these people would be particularly humble about it, um, I think. Yeah, well, your sampling was totally different. I mean, we, 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 we casted a much broader net. So you're right, you kind of, you in the methodology kind of got right to the, you know, the sweet center, right? So yeah. you, you're, you're dealing with a different, different crowd. Yeah. But in terms of, um, you know, you were asking earlier, you know, what, what, what are the on-ramps into the faith 
Yeah. Um, I, I can, I didn't, we didn't ask that in particular, but we asked a couple things that um, center around that, that type of question, which maybe is, which might be useful for our conversation here. Um, one is asking about, um, sorry, I just lost my page here. Uh, one was about, you know, what are, what have the most meaningful impact uh, on your faith life? And we, we found that prayer was number one. The sacraments were number two, clergy and religious number three. And I can give you percentages, but I thought this might mm-hmm. be easier for audio. Like we talked about yeah. print and digital media. Number four. Now digital media, not a thing 50 years ago. So right. there's a difference for you. Right? For sure. <clears throat> um, and podcasts in particular popped in your thing, didn't it? It did. Yeah. So on a different, uh, let me pull that up here. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to quickly move through a 80 page report. So bear with me here. Um, but yeah, so, um, in terms of a meaningful impact, uh, so at the top of the list of digital aids in terms of you mm-hmm. aids used to live out their faith, uh, podcasts were at 60%, the number one answer. The, no- wow. the number one answer of physical aids was, was the Bible. But what was really interesting to me about this particular piece was I figured that there would be a breakdown almost generally, generationally that, uh, that older folks would, would not be using digital aids as much and that you know, younger folks would not be using physical aids as much. I just thought that mm-hmm. that would be you know, a reasonable case. That wasn't really what we found. Uh, only 7% of respondents um, use physical aids only and only 6% use digital aids only. So almost yeah, everybody uses overlap. both. Yeah. It's like a four, it's a four quadrant thing, right? So it doesn't, it's not um, limited based on somebody's uh, physical age, right? And, and and that's really, yeah, that's super interesting. Just the fact that you even asked the question or posed it as a aid, digital aid or physical aid mm-hmm. is also an interesting insight because that's also something that I've come across in my own research that a lot of these digital platforms, particularly mobile ones, are not necessarily seen or expected to be a retransmission of content that I can get somewhere else, right? So Mm. the idea that if it's a, I don't know, if it's a television show about evangelization, that when you convert that into the digital platforms, um, especially mobile ones, that it has to just be the same thing, but only packaged for that screen. More what I've seen both in the data and just practically in my own life is that these, these digital uh, platforms really are seen more as tools or aids, to use your word, that are sort of helping me live my faith life, mm-hmm. and, and not just like you know it's it's it was a book now it's a podcast or it was a movie now it's a video on YouTube like it's it's less about that and more about how the digital mean or the digital thing is itself an aid or a tool in the particular walk. And, 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 and so just the way you asked it is, was, is really interesting because that's also what I've found. Yeah. Marshall McLuhan might have a, a bone to pick with me, I guess, about that. The, the, when he says the medium is the message, you know, uh, I, I, yeah. there is truth to that, but I think there's nuance to it too. Um, so, well, yeah. it's also a testament to, to how, you know, indispensable, sadly in some cases, but indispensable, particularly mobile screens have become because they're maps, they're, calculators, their telephones, you know, their, their weather d- devices their It really is, it, you know, we, we look at it as a tool in so many other aspects, but in the, in the areas of ministry and evangelization, we tend to look at them as more re- redistribution screens or retransmission screens. Mm. And that, that is part of it. Uh, you know, the medium is the message, that whole thing. That's part of it, but it's not the only thing. Mm-hmm. 
Another way into that question, again, this is this is not people at the top of the funnel that we're talking about, and this is and we we didn't specifically ask what brought you into the faith. Um, my guess is a lot of people grew up with it. I think that's where most like we we and we, I think there are those stats separately, you know. But um, but we did ask which of the following aspects of Catholicism do you most closely identify with, and we allowed people mm. to choose up to three. The top answers were prayer sacramental life and liturgy. And then further down the list, we we see pro-life values, family values, Marian devotion, tradition, service slash community. And then bringing up the rear is social justice, lives of the saints, mysticism, and at the very bottom, apparitions slash private revelations. Mm. Now, if if you kind of reflect on that, what are, what are some things that you take from that list? So the fact that prayer, sacraments, and liturgy are the top three, to me, say that there is, um, these are the, this is, this is worship. These are, this is, this is private and, and, and uh, community, community worship. Exactly. So there's something, you know, first of all, this isn't, this isn't surprising. That's, that's sort of what organized religion is, is meant to bring about, right? Is is it, it's a vehicle for us to be able to worship together, uh, to, 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 to signal to ourselves and to others that this is about God, not about us. Um, so there's something beautiful in that. I also will say um, that it it points to, you know, in our very busy, noisy, busy, constant world, there's such a need for silence and solitude. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what prayer uh, affords mm-hmm. at, the, at the very least, right? No matter how weak your prayer life feels or robust, you, hopefully there's a certain amount of silence and solitude that you've, that you have. Uh, and I think that, you know, I think that's a, so what, what came first? I don't know, but the fact that that's at the top is first of all, heartening, because I think it's super important. Um, and, uh, and, you know, as it speaks to the need of our day. I think it also speaks to the idea of relationship because prayer and I'm, I'm assuming people thought they were, ans- they were answering prayer as like what I do with God by myself, right? Yeah. And then and then in prayer and liturgy are fundamentally the same thing, just in different settings. Liturgy, all that means is just public prayer. Mm-hmm. And of course, the highest form of liturgy is the mass, but there's other forms of liturgy, mm-hmm. which all include praying essentially in public. Mm-hmm. But prayer is itself, you know, um, it, it, it's so, it's such a hard connect between prayer and relationship, being in relationship with God, spending time with God, speaking to God, contemplating God, you know, he, trying to listen to what God is saying in our lives. And so the fact that this idea of relationship is so clear in the data also speaks to the importance of accompaniment, right? Because if, it, if, if that is the driver, the driver is relationship. I want to be in relationship with God. I want to be in relationship with a community, in relationship with God. Those are those are like the big things. So then you you, you kind of have to start breaking down like what is relationship? What does that actually mean? What does that look like? And then, you know, you can maybe through that insight, you start looking at other forms of evangelization. To, to use your example, just to kind of cl- throw it away, the, the idea of proselytizing. Well, there's nothing relational about that, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's super, it's kind of didactic and rude, right? It's like you're talking to somebody and just... Let me get my thing out. Talking at somebody, really. Talking at somebody, not even two, yeah. right. So so like you can dispense with some things by virtue of that idea that 
people are looking to enter into relationship with God and into into relationship with one another as as we all as community enter in relationship with God. So that's like a big one that I take from your list of mm. the at least the top three. Mm-hmm. The sacramental one to me speaks of you know the tools essentially to use a crude word, but the tools that God gives us to actually have that relationship most fully, right? The the both practically and also supernaturally, right? Because of the graces that the sacraments give off. But so it, to me, it's like relationships and the tools to have the, that relationship. Like it seems very practical, you know, when I when I hear it. But it's an important reminder of of you know maybe some of the things that we just don't pay that much attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think that it, it a little bit speaks to um, that Catholics. Um, I don't think that the church has done a good job of helping people understand Catholic social teaching uh, very mm. well. I think there's yeah. a huge gap in our in our um, catechesis and education in that regard. I think people because that the, was towards the rear, right? The well, I mean, it really started in uh, the end of the the end of the uh, 1900s with Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Um, yeah, I, I took a oh, no. Sorry. I mean, in your data, oh. in your data, the, it was sort of t- one of the one of the lower um, drivers, right? So, yeah, so, social justice and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, so service okay. community was at twenty one percent, social justice ten percent. Yeah, um, pro life values thirty five percent. No, no surprise there. When, but actually, <laughs> all those things are totally related. You know, it's all about the human dignity of the person. And, of course, and and you know, when we talk about service, I mean, a way a different word we could use is charity, which means love, right? That's what the real, that's the, that's the love we're really talking about. And community, I mean, who else are you going to love besides God, yourself and others? So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think that that's, um, going forward, going to be, um, some kind of focus for DeSales. I mean, part of the reason that we did this, so, and I, did, I should have maybe talked about this too, you know, so the purpose of the study, the real thing we're trying to find out is what are the journeys like of, you know, intentional disciples and what are their unmet needs? Because mm-hmm. we want to be able to see where the white space is, who, you know, who, who we can maybe sure. partner with to try to address some of these things. But for each person who, for, for just, you know, the average Catholic who's just, who's, who's downloading the study and wants to you know, get something out of this, what I would encourage you to do is to, to put yourself into this and say, all right, if I was to take this, if I had to take, if I had participated in this study, where would I be finding myself along all these, all these way, you know, in, in these, all these metrics that we, that we measured, you know, um, and we haven't even talked about, you know, a lot of the other parts of the study where we kind of asked you like, where are you, where are your strengths, uh, you know, among these different aspects of the, of the faith life and where, and where do you think you have room for growth? So kind of doing that evaluation, understanding yourself better, where you are, you know, in your journey and then being able to see where other people are in your life and, and where they are in the journey and who who's accompanying who, right? Kind of to your yeah. point before, you know, the, yep. those ministering, those being ministered to. Where where can you be stepping up? Where can you be, you know, uh, maybe getting more involved in other people's lives in some way, in some meaningful way that brings them uh, further, to, further toward Christ? All of this. It, it, all of this, in, this goal of, of raising up the community uh, for the glory of God. What were some of those unmet needs that you discovered? Yeah. So um, that's a great question. I think there is a, there is an ongoing need for um, evangelization skills, people to develop their evangelization skills. Three quarters mm-hmm. of people said that they were interested in developing those. And this comes out of, by the way, the fact that, um, so remember, we're talking about very devout Catholics here one in five were uncomfortable about talking about their faith with others. 
And yeah, that one that one hit me when I first read it. Yeah, because that's I mean twenty percent, right? So among the yeah. most devout are still kind of uncomfortable with sharing their faith. Yeah, that was a rounded number, eighteen percent. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But still, two you know two out of ten. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. if they're not doing it, who's doing it? You know. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and then and then and then beyond that, only fifty two percent are moderately or extremely proactive in sharing their faith. Yeah. with others. So yeah. it's one thing to be comfortable or uncomfortable, but then if you're not doing anything about it. So, so thankfully, that's why I said 75% are interested in developing their evangelization skills. There is, I mean, we found this in our, in our synod on synodality in, in the Diocese of Brooklyn and, and all over uh, that there's a, there is a need for ongoing formation. And um, it's especially important with this group of, with this group of people, because these are the people who are leading ministries and in turn forming others. So if mm. they are not well-formed and, and I think, you know, we, this is something we just don't do a lot. Do, we just do not do well is provide ongoing formation. You know, after confirmation, that is basically the end of 99% of Catholics formation for, uh, offic- uh, what's the word, you know, kind of official formation experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not enough. <laughs> that's not even I- close. Do you, do you think when you break down witnessing to the faith, mm-hmm. because a lot of people would hear that and go, we need to just have apologetics classes and everything and like how to talk about worshiping Mary and all this. And by the way, I love apologetics, but mm-hmm. it seems to me that we're in a different season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the apologetics movement that started in the 80s which I'm a huge fan of and have tons of friends who are apologists and they're like among my most favorite people. Mm-hmm. I, I served on the board of Catholic Answers for six years. Like mm-hmm. I, I get it. But at the same time, it, it, like the frame shifted in my view a little bit because the, the idea of apologetics was in this kind of Protestant v. Catholic kind of mode. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's true anymore. I don't know if it's Protestant v. Catholic. It's more like, you know, I, I'm I'm you know, a sixth grader and I'm learning about, I don't know, gender theory or something. It's like, it, it, is it, it, when you hear, when you see, or, or say witnessing to the faith, what does that practically mean? Yeah. If it's going to be productized, what is it? Yeah. So, and you're talking about evangelization here, right? So we asked, what are the, what are your, what are the, actually the way we phrased it was what most holds you back from sharing your faith with others? Mm. And, um, what you're saying is exactly right. That, that is not, so I would put the, I would put what you're talking about under the banners of, I need a better understanding of scriptures or I need a better understanding of my faith. But yeah. Only 23 and 19% respectively said, responded that those were the, that those were the top barriers to evangelization. Got it. Okay. What were was the number one was situational appropriateness followed by lack of confidence, lack of knowing how to start conversations, not mm-hmm. wanting to offend and lack of experience. So situational appropriateness. I think, I think this goes to what you're saying. Like, you know, when is the right time for me to bring up faith? You know, that, that type of thing, or is this okay in the workplace? Or, uh, you know, is my relationship with this person at that level or that, that type of thing, right? I think these are, these are the questions people have about this. That's huge right there. That's a really big one. Situational awareness, because I know for a fact that that's, that's a conversation I have often with people about, you know, I, I thought this, but didn't say this, or I wanted to say something, but I wasn't sure if there was, this was the right setting or, you know, a lot of this, you know, kind of demurring to the given situation. And you're, 
what you end up with is walking out and maybe maybe you missed an opportunity, but you don't really know, right? So it, it's almost like, uh, you know, spiritual etiquette school or something, you know what I mean? But it's like having, knowing how and where and what those different settings are in the different contexts and then how to approach each one. Mm-hmm. It's really soft skills and I don't know, like it, it's, that's really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think all this stuff is interesting and, you know, this is... <laughs> We know, I mean, you, you mentioned evangelical Catholic, um, you know, I, I, I think that those guys are doing great work of it and, and they are addressing this exact need. We need more of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, their whole thing is friendship, which is really cool. It goes right to what you said, accompaniment and relationship mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. And, and, you know, I've said this many times, but you know, what's true is always true and always been true. That's just cause it's whatever's true is from God. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, but the Holy spirit, I think has different points of emphasis throughout the ages. And I do think that the emphasis that's kind of blowing right now, um, kind of in our country is this emphasis of accompaniment, right? This emphasis of really en- entering into relationship. Again, it's all been true always, mm-hmm. but it's, it's literally the Trinity, right? That's, that's our yeah. giant example. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. No, that's super, super cool. What do you do with this now that you have this data? Like what, what, what's the, what's the output to your mind? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of what DeSales does with it, you know, what we're, what I'm really hoping for and, you know, why, why we're doing this, you know, why I'm, why I'm on this, this talk. I mean, I, I hope that this is helpful for your listeners and I hope that some of your listeners may work for the church, uh, may, you know, may, may find themselves in, in organizations that, are, you know, have some kind of overlap in this type of thing. Um, you know, for example, you know, some of the other areas, uh, that we found, you know, the kind of interesting findings that we found nearly half of this, of our respondents have never received spiritual direction. Only 20% are currently receiving yeah. spiritual direction. The big one. Uh, and more than half do not go on retreat. Have no, they report no level of strength in going on retreat. So this is, I mean, this is uh, huge. So I think there are, you know, we, we had ideas, we had um, hunches about what might be the case and where we might be able to play. Um, now that we know, uh, you know, I would love to be able to partner with, uh, other organizations interested in, you know, taking, tackling some of these issues that we're seeing and going together uh, in this way, because, you know, the sales has been blessed with many gifts and I know that others have too. And I think so often in the church, there is, there is not a spirit of partnership first. I think there's, <laughs> there's a spirit of, uh, you know, I have this idea, let me go for it type of thing. Um, and, and I get it. Partnership is hard, but, um, but that's what I would really like to see is a, is a spirit of cooperation come out of this where we can actually start to meet some of these needs because the whole point is, is that this is how the church might actually grow. Mm. So there's kind of like an internal orientation for the data, but also an external orientation uh, to see what kind of partnerships and synergies may emerge with other players out there. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I just Which w- itself I found is kind of weird in the Catholic space sometimes. It looks like people don't necessarily like to partner. I, I don't. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, uh, I guess it's fear. I mean, ultimately it's always fear that that stops us from doing these things, but fear of what? I I don't know. There's, it's, it's a shame. We need more of it. What makes it, what makes it weird is that it's indispensable in the secular space. Like you cannot find a single company in the secular world who has not created a partnership in order to advance a new market or advance a new opportunity or whatever it may be. I mean, it's like, it, it just is logical. No, well, look, I think that there's a diocesan dimension, there's a parochial dimension, there's an apostolate dimension, there's a mm-hmm. pew sitter dimension mm-hmm. to this data. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, you know, with your permission, I, I believe there's a link we could just post in the show notes of this data. Is that, is that can I do that? Yeah, please. Yeah. Desalesmedia.org slash discipleship is, uh, yeah, anyone can download it for free. Um, it's, it's, it's an in-depth study, but I do, I do, you know, encourage you to spend some time, a little bit of time, just kind of looking through and saying to yourself, is this me? Does this represent me? And if not, you know, where, where can I go deeper? Where can people I know go deeper? Yeah, and no, we'll definitely put that in the show notes and, and anything else you want us to, to add in the show notes. I think it's really fascinating. It's very important. I would hope that also you guys or somebody else or some new partnership would actually look at this kind of spiritual journey data on a regular basis, right? Think of it as like a multi-wave thing where mm-hmm. every couple of years we're doing this. I know that obviously Kara and some other people do this kind of thing all the time, but those are very... Um, academic. you know, Yeah, academic and kind of you know, here's how many and where they live and all that's good. But this qualitative kind of view is really important to do and to do it often. So you can, you know, track those trends over time. Yeah. To your point about before, like that, that way we would have that information from what was this like 50 years ago if we were consistent. Yeah, for sure. It's like all we have is mostly, you know, supposition, but no man, it's, 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 it's really great. Um, I love that you kind of walked us through that. I think it's very important. We do have a lot of people in the audience who kind of work in church circles. Actually, one of our listeners is the former president of the USCCB, so mm. just who Archbishop Gomez, who uh, who uh, you know obviously just uh, stepped away from that role. Mm-hmm. But um, so yeah, so we've got a lot of um, of people involved in the church that um, that listen to the show, and uh, and they should avail themselves of this of this data. So um, really privilege that you came by to chat with us about this and just have the conversation in general. It's great to meet you. We could probably have another three hour show at some other time um, on on different subjects. Um, But yeah, just really great to, uh, to have you walk us through this and and give us an inside look at what this data seems to be revealing. It was really my pleasure. I I I appreciate you having me Deacon. Of course. Um, Now, finally, Dave, you know, you don't get off that easy. (laughs) Are you ready to play? Wait, what? (laughs) <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> exactly. See, I never ask it like a question. All right. So I'll take that as a yes. You are ready. I'm ready. All right. All right. So, all right, Dave. You've spent some time, as we've already discussed, in the world of cosmetics and fashion to some degree. So you're the guy for this question. So here goes. This is a true or false question. Question number one. St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologiae said that the use of makeup to change or cover one's face is a kind of lie. He quotes St. Augustine, who said, quote, to dye oneself with paints in order to have a rosier or a paler complexion is a lying counterfeit. So Hmm. true or false, St. Thomas Aquinas has that in his Summa. Dave, what say you? Wow. Okay. I haven't read the Summa. Um... I How am, dare you? <laughs> actually, it came up just earlier today. I uh, I, I heard that um, that St. Thomas Aquinas has something about uh, how to how to negotiate God's providence with the fact that we have free will um, that oh, I want to look into. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, okay, so I I so here's the here's the tricky thing about true false questions, right? Uh, that you know, if if any part of it is false, it's false. So I'm trying to find if any part of it's false. I'm I'm not I'm not tricking you, and I have done that before where I've replaced a word or whatever. That's okay. not that's not the case. This is entirely true or entirely false. Okay, okay. Because I because so, he he I'm sure he has quoted Saint Augustine before, so that that kind of tracks. He's, 
He's quoted St. Augustine, but he's also, what I'm claiming is that St. Thomas Aquinas himself said that the use of makeup to change or cover one's face is a kind of lie. And then he quotes St. Augustine to basically, you know, make his point. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to say true. And you would be correct. Yeah. In fact, what's interesting is actually St. Francis de Sales. You're the namesake of your company, St. Alphonsus Liguri. A lot of other saints, uh, St. Paul, have had a lot to say about female adornment. Um, Before any of the ladies get nervous about throwing out all of their Sephora, (laughs) the church doesn't itself take a position doctrinally on this. But the general thrust of the teaching in the Catholic Church is really all about, it's down to intent and modesty. Mm-hmm. It, it's very actually similar, the more I thought about the makeup quote, it's very similar to the way that the church views tattoos, right? Tattoos are not inherently wrong or evil, but if your intent is, I want to desecrate my body in order to make a point that I hate God, well then, clearly sinful. Yeah. And then there's this other aspect beyond intent of modesty, right? So if I'm tattooing my body or using so much makeup that I make a spectacle of myself wherever I go, well, then you're, that's a, that's potentially, uh, you know, an immodest, uh, action. So, but I, I found it really interesting in coming up with this question, how many other saints had something to say about makeup? So I'd ask, <laughs> thought I'd ask the guy who worked at Estee Lauder. Yep. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. You're doing really good. All right. right question yeah, that number was a, two. You know, thank you for starting me off with a 50, 50. That was helpful. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. There's some method to my madness. All right. Question number two, Dave, which of these is false? about the Knights of Columbus, in which I believe you're a third degree knight, if I'm not mistaken. I am, and they are based in the state that I live in. That's right. Uh, Father Michael McGivney. All right, so which of these is false? You ready? Is it A, at the peak of the Ku Klux Klan's power, the Knights stood as its most vigorous opponent? Is it B, the Knights' investment arm, called Asset Advisors, manages in excess of $24 billion in assets? Or is it C, during World War II, the Knights set up a Catholic infantry group to serve the needs of the injured and their families as they fought against the Nazis on the ground? Which of those is false? Hmm. Ku Klux Klan, investment arm with $24 billion in assets, or setting up an infantry group during World War II? I am... Again, good question. Great, well written. All of these seem possible. Thank um, you, because it takes forever to do this. Just so you know. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> um, I I don't think that the second one is false. Uh, I'll start there. I don't. I think mm-hmm. they do have that investment uh, activity. Um, the the Ku Klux Klan thing also seems very reasonable, uh, since it is an America based organization, and the Nazi. Um, military, you know, thrust was all in Europe. I'm going to go ahead and say that that's the least likely. I'm going to say it's C. I love the way you work through this stuff. And you were correct once again. It is C. In fact, they didn't set up an infantry group during World War II. But interestingly, they actually, uh, a Knight of Columbus was the first and last American to fall in World War I. So the first person killed and the first person, the last person to, to die in World War One in those conflicts was a Knight of Columbus. Interesting. On, on the America side, probably. 
as a yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, um, but yeah, man, you're doing super great, and and I, I love the methodological approach of answering these questions. Well, I figured as a, for an audio show, we I gotta like kind of say of what course. I'm thinking here, right? I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love, everybody should take a cue from this. All right, <laughs> final question, and you're already guaranteed a perfect score because the last question I always leave up to the guest, but it's always a time machine question. So here goes. Dave, you get to travel forward in time to the capital of advertising and marketing, which is kind of your hometown, New York City, in the year 2123. So about a century forward, okay? Mm-hmm. Media and content have continued to atomize over the preceding century and are delivered to audiences in infinitely various ways. This fact, coupled with decades of successful usage of neural technology, have allowed people to literally program their own personal realities in their own minds. As you can imagine, this has made evangelization very difficult. In order to proclaim the gospel and have people experience it, they have to self-program for it, or you have to force it in by hacking the neural networks and piping content into their feeds. It's almost like advertising in a way. Faced with the dilemma of little to no gospel proclamation in the world or hacking into people's personal echo chambers, which do you choose or is there another way? There has to be, okay, we have to respect the human dignity of each person, even if they're making poor choices. So uh, I don't think hacking is the, is the way because that, that seems like force feeding something. And also we know that doesn't work. That's basically proselytization. They're, they're going to know they didn't put it there. Like that's, that's not a, I don't think that's a useful thing. Um, is there another way? Man, this is like a really elaborate scenario. Did you come up with this on your own? Of course. I'll come up with all of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This, it's a podcast. It's kind of yeah. like, it's kind of like uh, um, Ready Player One meets yeah. like uh, The Matrix meets, I don't know. Um, so, okay. Hmm. You don't have to come up with the other way, but it seems that you're making a selection. It's not A or B, it's C. I think it's C. I think, yeah. I, 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 you know, we would not be doing our jobs to to carry out the Great Commission if, if, we, if we select A. And we are not doing our jobs to respect the human dignity of each person if we're doing B. So it's got to be C. What that looks like, man, if I knew that, I, I think, uh, <laughs> I don't well, know. And- <laughs> In in the word that, that I think that's a, that's it's a good answer. In the words of another movie great, The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones, you have chosen wisely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were going to get it right either way, but I think that that uh, the other way is uh, is the door I was hoping you'd walk through. I think it's a difficult I, question. I think it would have to be something like you know, um, you know how we we. Um, Maybe this is a bad analogy. I was thinking about how you give dogs vitamins by putting it into treats or things like oh, that. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. uh, uh, it might need to be, you know, we might need to kind of pick the best things about this, not to trick people, but to, but to, you know, you got you often lead with beauty, right? That's, that's going to be the, the way in for a lot of things. So, so Absolutely. Some, somehow it's got to, there's got to be something better than the alternatives that allows people to. Uh, to, to choose this freely, but then be surprised by actually what they what they picked. I think this would be a very good setting for that pre-evangelization strategy we were talking That's about right. earlier. That's a scenario right. Scenario like this, you there know, you what is like kind of points you in the right direction, even though it's not the full thing. Yeah. Um, but we're hoping you'll kind of get there and let grace do its job. Yeah. But uh, yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for playing. Wait, what? <laughs> 
Thanks for playing that game, uh, Dave. Always, uh, always a pleasure to put that stuff together for guests and audience. And yeah, what a great privilege to have you on the show, man. It was a really great conversation. And uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Keep witnessing yourself, uh, and uh, you know, talking to more people and seeing if we can't uh, raise out of the rafters of the corporate world a few other believers to go and do some stuff. Because I think there's a lot more of us than than I, certainly I thought about when I, when I was there. Amen. Amen. And thank you for having me. This is great. It's super fun. Awesome. And if you're listening to our voices, that means it's time for you to follow this podcast because we don't say subscribe anymore since Apple's doing away with the subscription thing and turning it into its own product. But we'll leave that where it is. So follow this show, share this episode with uh, someone you love, someone who can benefit from the conversation that Dave and I have had. And we will be privileged to see you again next time on Living the Call. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.